A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello people and welcome to another episode of Square. I'm the host Rick, I'll be talking you through today's embarrassing tales. Let's get started. So this next podcast is probably my favourite, the favourite recording we've done so far. Now, we're lucky enough to have our friends over the pond, over in the USA, recording some bits and bobs for us. And um, this particular one is an absolute banger. Um, I do apologise, I'm going to have to put a disclaimer out here uh, right now, just to let you know that it's definitely not Morgan Freeman. Uh, reading this story it's definitely not um as it kicks in probably 20 to 30 seconds worth you will fall in love with the rich tones of his voice like i say i'm not that way inclined but but he has got a very soothing romantic voice as it were so i let him tell the tale um i'm very honored to to have this particular person relay that story as you can tell they're a bit more professional than i am uh so i'm very fortunate i hope you enjoy it as much as i i do um let him take it away Hello, I would like to tell my story to uh, you people so you know what happens when you say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person. Now my story starts out fairly innocently. I have been treated for depression my whole life. All my life I've been treated for depression and my doctor, my internist, has always treated me for this depression. But one particular depression, he felt like I was sliding very, very quickly. So he wanted me to go see a specialist. Now, this specialist ran a depression and anxiety center at a local hospital. So he set up an appointment, made a referral, and I had an appointment there for 8 o'clock the following Monday morning. Now, on Monday morning, they were predicting coming through on Monday afternoon, the biggest blizzard we had had in Cincinnati in 40 years. So they canceled my wife's work. They closed her work. They closed all kinds of businesses in anticipation of this. So my wife decided to go with me. And she was a little concerned that I was being referred to a specialist because my doctor had never done that before. I show up at my appointment, and it starts out normally enough. Now, so I'm going to refer to this doctor as Dr. M from now on. And he he sat down and, you know, asked me the background information. And, uh, you know, I was fine. He, he gets through all my background questions. I'm trying not to giggle, but he asked the normal things that psychiatrists ask you. Well, then he gets to that big question. Have you ever have, have you ever thought of harming yourself? And I'm, you know, not good at his accent, so I'm not going to try to do it. But I I found this question a little bit annoying, actually. 
because I'm sitting there in his, in his office and I'm paying $125 an hour to, the, to this man to try to fix me. So if I wanted to harm myself, I could sit at home and do that for free, right? So I tell him, no, I have not thought of harming myself. Well, then he asked me this follow-up question to that. If I was going to harm myself, how would I do it? And I thought, well, this is where I got myself in big trouble. Because rather than say, oh, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, how you would do that or what you would do. I'd never given it any thought. I quickly came up with one of the most brilliant plans for your own demise that you could ever think of. And my plan was uh, very elaborate, had three or four steps in it. And it, but at the end of the day, it was it was a very good plan. And he looked at me and he was very horrified. And he he asked me why I came up with that particular plan. And I said, well, you know, my and my plan, um, it, it basically involved me ending up on the expressway and walking out in front of a semi and it looking like an accident. And I said, well, you know, there's a lot of problems with suicide. You know, your family feels very guilty about this. Uh, your relatives, the people that are left behind, they feel very bad. And uh, this solves that problem. You know, it solves the problem of that because it looks like an accident. Number two problem with suicide is attempting suicide is that you possibly could survive it. You know, as I told him, about only 80% of gunshot people, you know, people who use guns actually kill themselves with it. And then you end up being a vegetable, having a drool cup and a diaper. And, you know, you just got people taking care of you. So that's not how I want to be. And number three, you know, my my wife would have get double the insurance money. So she would be taken care of for life. So this seemed to really uh, disturb him. This bothered him quite a bit. And uh, he said, excuse me, and I'm going to, I'll be right back with you in about 10 minutes. So he steps out into the hallway and I'm sitting there, you know, feeling pretty good about myself because I'd come up with such an incredible plan on such short notice. Well, when he returns, he returns with my wife. And my wife, who is not a very affectionate woman and not an overly excitable woman, uh, she, she grabs my hand and she, she just says, everything's going to be all right. And I can see her eyes are red. She's been crushed. She's starting to cry. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? So anyway, she tells me, you know, everything's going to be okay. Everything's, and I'm thinking, what the hell? You know, she's seen me through bouts of depression before. She knew this wasn't a particularly horrible thing. So I said, you know, I think, I think everything will be all right. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll be fine. So the doctor takes his seat behind the chair and he says to me, Mr. Walters, I, I, I believe that you should be hospitalized immediately. Now, this game is quite a shock to me because no one has ever said that to me before. And my wife just kind of squeezed my hand a little bit. And, and, I, and I said, why, why do I need to be hospitalized? And he said, well, I believe you are a danger to yourself, you know. And I said, well, I, I do not believe I am a danger to myself. And he said, oh, but you have a very, very elaborate plan. This is not something you had not given thought to before. This is something that you have thought through very carefully. And I said, no, doctor, I have not thought this through very carefully. You asked me a question, I answered the question. So 
you know, it's it was just what it was. And my wife said, no, Chuck, I think that you should, you know, consider this is what this is going to be best. We're going to take care of you. We'll get everything taken care of. And and I said, oh, so then I realized that he all that time he was out in the hallway, he was talking to my wife and he was convincing her that I needed to be in the hospital. So I decided I needed some time alone with my wife. So he, I asked, could I have a few minutes with my wife? And he left the room. And I looked at my wife and I said, have you lost your damn mind? I don't need to be in no damn hospital. What the hell's wrong with you? And she started crying. And she said, I know things are bad. I know whatever, you know, but we're going to get through this. You just, you just have to, you just have to cooperate. And please, you know, do what you, what you need to do. So I said, no, there's, there's not, a, that's not even an option. You know, that's not even something I'm going to consider. I, I don't need to be in a hospital. I, he just, you know, he just misunderstood me. So anyway, he comes back in and uh, they talk a little bit more and we're, and we're talking about it more and more. And finally, he throws down the ace in the hole that he has and says, look here. Me and my wife both feel that you're a threat to yourself and we can have you put on a 72 hour psychiatric hold. And apparently that is a legal thing that is not too difficult if both the wife and the doctor feel that you are a danger to yourself, which at that moment they both did. So I realized the position that I'm in and I realized that I'm really just going to get kind of screwed here and I have no way around fixing this whole thing so i do not the last thing i want in the world is a uh, psychiatric hold on my permanent record i don't know if such a thing exists but you know it could it comes to me that okay okay i think real quickly just go along with them go along with them till you get them split up because if you sign yourself into the hospital voluntarily you can just walk out whenever the hell you want so that is actually what I did. See, you need the, the both the doctor and the spouse to be, you know, to go to court or whatever, call the police, and they need to be together when they do this. And I figured once my wife went home, the doctor went back about his business, I'd, you know, sign myself in, and I'd just get the hell on out of there. Well, my wife's very happy, you know, and she decides to run home and get my stuff, and and I go down to the admitting thing and start filling out the paperwork. Well, I get the paperwork all filled out and I say, you know, where, where should I go? And they tell me to go to the seventh floor. But they need an orderly to take me up to the seventh floor because apparently you cannot go to the seventh floor. The elevator does not stop on the seventh floor. Um, it only stops if you have a special key to make it stop on the seventh floor because they don't want the regular people to mix with the psychos, you know, accidentally get off on the, on the wrong floor and be wandering around these bunch of crazies. So this very nice orderly takes me up there. So I, I get up there and about the time I get up there, I said, you know, and I'm shown around by a nurse and it's, it's about this time that my wife gets back with back to the hospital. Cause we live very close with my personal belongings, which, uh, included a lighter and an electric razor. But they would not let me have the electric razor. They immediately took the electric razor from me for fear that I may 
burn a hole through my wrist. I'm not really sure what they took that away from me from, but but they did. So anyway, um, the one thing that she did get me that was very, very important was she gave me a baggie that she had stopped and got $20 worth of quarters. Okay, so I could go to the vending machines. Now, it was starting to snow and we was starting to have this blizzard, so my wife had to get out of there very quickly so she didn't get caught up in this. And the city that I lived in had already declared a level three snow emergency, which means that if you're not, if you're on the road and you don't have good reason for being on the road, they're going to arrest you and haul you away. So she had to get out of there. So she gets out of there and I call my doctor, you know, I'm calling my doctor, my regular doctor to tell him that I've been, you know, kind of bamboozled into this whole thing. And, uh, you know, I can't get a hold of him and I'm waiting for a call back. So I figured, you know, does I'll just I'll, I'll just ride this out. You know, I got I got quarters, I got magazines, I'll go get so whatever, you know, I'll be fine. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, by the time my wife leaves and I get settled in, it's lunchtime. Okay. So at lunchtime, they serve you your meals, and I start to take my tray back to my room. But the nurse says, Why don't you eat in a common area with everybody else? I said, well, I'd rather, you know, just eat in my room. And she said, no, eat in the common area. It'll be, it'll be good for you because you'll get to know everybody that, uh, you know, is, is in the room and then wherever. So I said, okay. So I, I don't really want to get to know these people. I don't want to make a bunch of friends because I'm going to be leaving the next day, hopefully. And I go find a table and sit by myself. Well, as I sit by myself and I start to eat my lunch, in strolls a woman who I can only describe as massive in all areas. She's probably about six foot two. Um, she was a very large, large woman. She had slippers on, had a gown on, and in the psych ward, you could dress in your normal clothes. You dressed however you wanted. You know, you didn't have to dress up in a hospital gown or whatever, but she just had a some kind of gown on and had a pretty good Thorazine buzz going on her, so 
she decided to sit right across from me at my table. And I figured that's all right. You know, I don't care who sits by me, but I don't need to have conversations with them. So I looked down at my plate of pork loin and mashed potatoes and baked apples or whatever it was they gave me. And the baked apples were actually pretty good. I shouldn't really complain. The hospital food, at least the two meals that I had, were not that bad. So I take a few more um, bites of my food. And I just look up and, you know, I'm looking around. And as I look up, I see that the woman sitting across from me has about 10 really really long whiskers coming out of her chin and those chin those hairs on her chin are holding an amazing amount of mashed potatoes now i'm not a squeamish person but this made me very squeamish i did not want to eat my lunch after that so i just said you know what i'm 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 done with this so i took my tray threw my food in the garbage walked back to my room and when i went back to my room there was an old guy laying in the other bed and his name was Pete. Now, Pete was waiting for a room to open up in the pain management clinic. See, he wasn't an actual psych patient. But all the beds in the pain management clinic, they were taken. So he was waiting for a spot to open up. And in the meantime, they just were holding him down in the pain management center. And he spent most of his time, he told me, sleeping because he was on, he had something wrong with his back and he was taking pain medication. And, you know, so he did a lot of sleeping. And so I sat down, we, we talked for a while, and I found out he'd been there over a week. He didn't have to participate in any of the activities that the patients were required to do. And, and I'd soon find out what these activities were because they brought in my schedule for the next day. And the schedule had a breakfast menu and a lunch menu and a dinner menu. You know, you could pick out different things. You could have pancakes or French toast or whatever you wanted for breakfast, as well as activities for the following day. Now, I tell the nurse when she brings this in to me, you know, that I, I don't need this because I'm not going to be here the following day. You know, I'm, I don't plan on being there, but, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm not going to be there. Well, in the meantime, my doctor had called back and I got this, I, I got to speak to him. And I told him I was in the hospital, and he said, what the hell are you in the hospital for? And I said, well, that's my, that's my question. I'm sitting here in the damn hospital. And he said, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. What did you say? And I said, I did not say anything to the man. I just, you know, talked to him, and he said, I need to be in the hospital. And he said, well, I can see. The problem was is that now the blizzard had already started, and he had to close his office and go home for the day. And there was nothing he could do about this. But he promised me that if I, if I would just spend one night, if I would behave myself during that day and spend one night, he would come up there the following morning and talk to the doctor. And if he did not feel that I needed to be in the hospital, he would take me home himself. So I thought, okay, that's a fair enough deal. He asked me, could I comply for one night? He asked me for one night to just be compliant. So I said, okay, I will do that. So she she's brought me my schedule for the following day and the schedule had the menus and stuff and the activities on it. And I'm, and I'm looking at these things and, uh, and Pete tells me, you know, I tell her, she just leaves it for me. I said, you know, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. She leaves it there and um, says, you know, I'll come back in about an hour to pick it up. Now, Pete, realizing that the position I was in, advises me to get out of there as quickly as possible. Otherwise, I was going to turn into one of them. See, in Pete's view, people came in and left. They came in, but they left worse than they started. And, uh. Pete basically was describing kind of a one flew over the cuckoo's nest scenario. Although it was a very nice hospital, you had to have pretty good insurance to get in there. But, he, you know, he, Pete just, you know, not being crazy, didn't want to be surrounded by crazies and thought people were exceptionally crazy in there. So I hang around with Pete for a while and 
Now, my, my primary doctor, he had told me that, you know, one of the keys to this was exercise, and he wanted me to take three 30-minute walks every day. Now, there's a blizzard outside. You know, I can't go outside. I can't do anything. So I just got to take one of my walks, and I start walking around the hall, which is kind of, you know, getting people a little uneasy, me just walking in circles and pacing and everything else. And I explained to the nurse what I'm doing because she thought I was agitated and actually offered me some Xanax to calm me down. I told her I wasn't agitated. I'm just doing what my doctor told me to do. But I did actually take the Xanax just because I like Xanax. But anyway, as I'm wandering around the hallway, I come across this elderly guy. Okay, now he is looking for his room. I ask him. You can tell he's lost as hell. So I just ask him, what, what, what you doing here, sir? And he said, well, I'm, I'm looking for my room. And I said, well, what room number you in? Now, this man looks at me like he hates me more than anything in the world. And he says to me, if I knew the number of my room, I would be there now. Well, I was already in kind of a bad mood, and I didn't feel like really dealing with a cranky old man in the hallway. So I just said, you know what? The hell with you. I just walked away and let him wander down the halls. Now, I went back to my room, read some magazines. Now, by this time, dinner had come. You know, I, I killed some time, and they were, I remember they were serving lunch meat, hoagies, and french fries. They, they were actually pretty good. The hospital food I'd never complain about. But uh, I get my tray, and I start to head to my room. And again, the nurse says, you know, please go to the common area. And I say, you know, I'm not going to be eating with those people. Not going to eat with them. I said, I don't want to be seeing French fries on somebody's whiskers. I'm just going back to my room. So I eat in my room. Meal's good. Everything's fine. And now remember, I got all these quarters. And in the psych ward, you did not have a phone in your room, nor did you have a TV in your room. And the reason for that was because people would, I think, would fight over um, what they were going to watch. They didn't want the, you know, and I guess the phone cord, you know, you could hang yourself with a phone cord. So they didn't want that in there either. But anyway, so I got all these quarters. I go down to this phone booth and I don't, I, I think it was just a phone. But anyway, I start calling people in my family, you know, to tell them they all know because they've talked to my wife and, and I get my mother first. And, and my mother just thinks this is hysterical. I mean, she's just giggling the whole time throughout the call. I'm like, Mom, this ain't funny. I'm in a damn hospital. I'm a psych ward, for Christ's sake. What is so damn funny about this? And she said, you know, you just, you, you got to admit, it was just a matter of time before you ended up in there. I was like, you know, this this is not funny, Mom. It's just not funny. So then I called my brother, who who was, you know, my brother was like my best friend. You know, we were very close. And, and, and he just is hysterical. He can't even hardly talk to me. He's laughing so much. And I am pissed. Because my plan was, you know, to just wander out of there. But then the blizzard came, and I had no choice. I had to stay there. I was stuck in there. It was like the shining. I was stuck in there, and I couldn't go anywhere. So I expected a little bit of sympathy from my brother, but I got none from him either. So I hung up and told him, you know, but although my brother, I will say that he did offer to drive through the snow and into the blizzard and come and get me and if I wanted, but... I figured he'd never make it because we ended up, I think, that day getting about 18 inches of snow, which is insane for Cincinnati. And he would have been the only guy out on the road and they would have arrested him. So my family's a very peculiar group of people. So now it's it's after dinner. It's getting to be about 6 p.m. or so. And 
I've had dinner, you know, it's already dark and, and I decide that I'm going to go for, cause I remember I got me a whole baggie four quarters, right? And there's vending machines and I decide I'm going to go find these vending machines. So the vending machines were down on the sixth floor. I'd seen people go down through the doors and walk down the stairs and then come back up with sodas and whatnot. So I decided to go to the vending machine. Well, as I get within five feet of the doorway of going down to the sixth floor, this little security guy appears just out of nowhere. It's like he just popped there and he's between me and the door. And he asked where I was going. I said, well, I'm just going down to the vending machine. And he explained to me I was not allowed to go down to the vending machine. And I said, well, why, why can't I go to the vending machine? And he said, well, you can't go because you got a white bracelet. I said, well, that makes no sense. And he said, well, you understand, when you've been here a few days and, and, and we know that you're not going anywhere and we can trust you, you'll get a green bracelet and you'll be able to really be able to roam wherever you want and have great access to the building. But for right now, you got a white bracelet and you can't leave the floor. I was like, well, that's, that's you know, some kind, really some kind of bullshit. I mean, tell me, I, I got, look at me. I got, I'm standing here with a whole bag, baggy full of quarters and I want a Mountain Dew and you tell me I can't get one. And he said, well, maybe by tomorrow they'll give you a green bracelet and you'll be fine. Well, uh, you know, that was just not good enough for me. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted a damn Mountain Dew and I had a quarter. So, again, I tell him that I just wanted to go down to the vending machine. And, again, he refused. And we seemed to both understand that we were at a crossroads. And I'm getting very, very tense by this time. And his, his, his authority as a hospital security guard was not going to be questioned. So I tried to reason with him some more, and it just did not work. And I told him, I said, you know what? I've seen people far crazier than me to walk through them damn doors. And you didn't stop them. You know, this seems kind of like bullshit to me. But he wasn't convinced. So I finally, you know, I finally just said, look, this is stupid. Just get out of my way. Let me go get my damn Mountain Dew. Now, this is like challenging the Chihuahua. I should not have done it. Because the little man, he stands there and he crosses his arms. And he spreads his feet like he's just getting ready to pounce, you know. And and, and he, he looks at me and he says really, really sternly, he says, you don't seem to be understanding me here, son. I cannot allow you to go through that door. Well, that was that was kind of kind of both amusing and insulting to me because I, I what, what I did was I just assumed the same position as he did and I said look now look you're not ass- assessing this whole situation properly you're maybe 55 years old you're going at best 140 pounds you don't even you have no gun you have no baton you don't have pepper spray I told him, for Christ's sake, your badge is silk screened on your coat. You ain't even got a real badge. I'm, I'm 29 years old. I'm 185 pounds. How are you going to stop me from going through that door? And then he realized that this was a, really an actual serious situation. And the reality of it sat in and uh, he said, you know, no, you can't go. And I said, you know, here, here's where we're at. Do you really want to wrestle me over a Mountain Dew? That's what this comes down to. I do not know how much they pay you per hour, but is it worth wrestling me over a Mountain Dew? Because I don't believe you can stop me from going through that door. Well, that kind of sunk into his head a little bit, and he realized I wasn't joking anymore. So he offered a compromise. He was going to go down to the vending machine for me and pick up my soda. 
And I told him no, because now it had become a matter of principle, you know, and I'm a very, very principled man. I wasn't some kind of rambling lunatic that you couldn't trust to go down to the damn vending machines. I told him I could get my own soda. So I told him, no, those terms are unacceptable. I'm going to be going downstairs. The only question was, was I pushing him out of the way to do it? Well, I told them, but I did tell him, if you're worried about me, you can accompany me downstairs. You can walk with me. Well, I think by that time, he really didn't want to get in a stairwell with me. He thought I was truly one of the crazies. And, you know, don't just leave this guy alone. So he looks at me and says to me, if I let you go down there, do you promise you're going to come back? So I looked at him, you know, with just amazement. And I said, would you look out there? I said, it's, it's, it's snowing so damn hard you can't see anything. There's a damn blizzard going on. I don't have a coat and I'm not wearing shoes. I had my socks on, but I didn't have no shoes on at that point. I don't have no damn shoes. I said, do you think I'm really going to wander out in there and freeze to death? What the hell do you think is wrong? You think I'm not crazy that I'm going to sneak out of here, freeze to death in a goddamn blizzard just to, to spite you? So he said, okay, go on down there. So I... I assured him I was going to be right back, and I went on my way, and I purchased my soda and my candy bar from the sixth floor. And as I got back up, I found a guard anxiously awaiting my return at the top of the stairs, and he seemed relieved that I hadn't escaped into the blizzard without a coat. So now I'm in good shape because I got my candy bar and I got my my soda. So thanks for listening to part one of this obviously fantastic uh, podcast and an embarrassing story now it's not only embarrassing this story it is uh, very true and hard hitting home but the particular person has carried it so well that we're, we're laughing along with obviously his mental health issues um, I picked up some key points never joke with a psychiatrist about killing yourself now I probably would have never done that in the first place to get myself obviously in that predicament but I do rate him for doing that um, so there we have it never joke about killing yourself uh, that's that's my overall thoughts on the situation thanks for listening to Squirm if you want your piece of the action email us at squirmpodcast at gmail.com follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at squirmpodcast much love ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.